Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. I return to this poem again and again. American poet Galway Cannell's St. Francis and the Sow. The bud stands for all things, even for those things that don't flower, for everything flowers from within of self-blessing. Though sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness, to put a hand on its brow of the flower and retell it in words and in touch, it is lovely until it flowers again from within of self-blessing. As St. Francis put his hand on the creased forehead of the sow and told her in words and in touch blessings of earth on the sow, And the sow began remembering all down her thick length from the earthen snout all the way through the fodder and slops to the spiritual curl of her tail, from the hard spininess spiked out from the spine down through the great broken heart to the sheer blue milken dreaminess spurting and shuddering from the 14 teats into the 14 mouths, sucking and blowing beneath them, the long, perfect loveliness of sow. Again and again, I'm reminded of our calling to reteach loveliness. To whom have you retaught their loveliness? Who retaught you your loveliness? There is a video of this. A beautiful, beautifully dressed woman is seated in a barber chair, surrounded by men. The barber stands behind her, his electric shaver suspended above her head for just a beat. His free hand goes to her shoulder where it rests lightly. She nods slightly, her eyes brim with tears. This is hard. This is yet one more hard thing in a long line of hard things unspooling in her life. He shaves her head with long, sure strokes. She keeps her hands in her lap. She is stoical. When he is almost done, he takes a small step back from her chair. He tips his head, catching her eye in the mirror. And then, without pausing, he reaches up and begins to shave his own head. She gazes up at his reflection in the mirror, uncomprehending. 
And then another barber appears from out of the frame, taking the measure of it all. He extends his hand, and the first barber passes him the shaver. Now the second barber is shaving his head. The two men grin at one another and at her. She is in very good company. They are all beautiful. They are all beautiful. Sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing, its loveliness. In her anointed short story collection, These Precious Days, American writer Anne Patchett tells this story. She and her husband Carl were leaving Russia, she writes, and while we were going through all the various lines in the airport in Moscow, we noticed that nearly everyone had a baby. There was no overlooking it. We struck up a conversation with an American couple ahead of us in line. They were going home to Atlanta with a beautiful little girl they'd just adopted. We congratulated them and said that we were on the flight to Atlanta as well. They were radiant in their happiness, this couple and their Russian baby. The closer we got to our gate, the more babies we saw, tiny infants, just walking toddlers. When the announcement came that it was time to board our flight, everyone who had a child gathered up their strollers and diaper bags and got into line. One direct flight from Moscow to Atlanta, and everyone who had come to Russia from the States to adopt a baby was on it. We were a little nervous at first, more than 100 babies on a 12-hour flight. But as it turned out, they were all happy, happy parents, happy babies. None of them was anywhere near being tired of each other. The couple we'd met in line sat right across the aisle from us, their sweet girl in their arms. How random it all was. Who got which baby? Where they'd all go later on connecting flights? Once we were airborne, the parents began to walk up and down the aisles, talking to one another, bouncing their infants in their arms. There was almost no crying until several hours into the flight when the woman across the aisle from us came back to her seat. She was crying. Her husband was asleep. Carl asked her what was wrong. She waved him off, but he persisted. Carl persists. A woman in the back told me there's something wrong with her. She was looking at her baby. Can you see it? The woman said she wasn't holding up her head enough. She said, as soon as I get home, we should take her to a neurologist. Give me that baby, Carl said. He told her he was a doctor that he had delivered hundreds of babies. He held out his hands and she passed him the infant. Carl studied the baby carefully. He looked in her eyes, sat her upright, let the baby grab his finger. He did whatever he could think of to appear as medical as possible. <laughs> I've looked at all these babies, he said to the woman, this is the best baby on the plane. She leaned over, touched her daughter's head. Do you think so? I'd love to have this baby, he said. This is the best baby I've ever seen. 
I watched her grief break apart, writes Ann Patchett. Grief dissipating, evaporating, vanishing. Carl handed back the baby with some regret and gave the woman his card. She thanked him and thanked him. He had restored her to joy. The woman just needed someone to remind her how exquisite her daughter was and how lucky they were. How lucky they were. Sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing, its loveliness. And this reminds me of a time many years ago, one of our daughters who also came home on a plane is now in first grade and her teacher is concerned. My child is lovely, the teacher says, but silent. She watches the other children, but doesn't join them. Often she sits at her little desk, gazing out the window far away. She has one friend. Peter has just arrived from France and knows no English. At recess, they climb on the jungle gym and the swings, but they play across from each other more than with each other. I'm a wreck. What's wrong with my precious child? Kem assures me that she's just an introvert, something about which I have a lot to learn. And then one day, the church administrator takes a call from the school administrator asking me to please stop by the principal's office later that afternoon. My heart is a stone. I am filled with dread. The lovely Joe Petner comes out from behind his desk to greet me, a sheaf of papers in his hand. Kim, he says, we just got back all the standardized testing. I steal myself, but his voice is filled with pride and joy and wonder. Your daughter has the highest score of any child in the city. The highest score ever recorded in the city. Clearly, she understands everything we're trying to teach her and more. She's just thinking great thoughts. She's just thinking great thoughts. Sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing, its loveliness. One more story for this morning, a favorite of our Buddha's Belly book group. The revered Burmese uh, meditation teacher, Deepa Ma, had endured tremendous suffering in her life. After 20 years of marriage, she and her husband had yet to conceive a child, a source of great sorrow for them. And then a miracle, a baby girl. Three months later, she died. Four years later, a baby boy, dead at birth. In her grief, Deepa Ma's health deteriorated. And then her husband, who had left for work in apparently fine health, arrived home feeling feverish. And later that day, 
he died. Somehow Deepama found her way to a Buddhist temple. Somehow she learned to meditate, transmuting her suffering into compassion. She became luminous with love. People traveled from all over the world to sit with her. Once she came to visit the Insight Meditation Society in Barrie, Massachusetts during their annual three-month retreat. One of the retreatants was having a difficult time and got it into his head that if he left the retreat, checked into a motel and watched a particular football game on TV, it would all go better. So he did. When he returned, he was predictably unhappier than when he left, filled with guilt and self-recrimination, and ashamed to tell Deepama what he had done. Finally, he couldn't stand it anymore and went to her room where he sat down with her and made his confession. Deepama looked at him. She reached out, took his hand, and said, that's okay. Now you can start again. Now you can start again. Sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing, its loveliness. Beloved spiritual companions, to whom have you retaught their loveliness? Who retaught you your loveliness? The bud stands for all things, even for those things that don't flower. For everything flowers from within, of self-blessing. Though sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness to put a hand on its brow of the flower and retell it in words and in touch. It is lovely until it flowers again from within of self-blessing. May we reteach loveliness. Amen. And now for our benediction, I invite you to put your hands over your heart in namaste. I bow to the divine in you. From American poet Galway Canal, the bud stands for all things, even for those things that don't flower, for everything flowers from within of self-blessing. Though sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing, its loveliness. May we reteach loveliness and let us keep this faith, beloveds, and pass it on. The service begins when the service ends. Bless your hearts. I love you. Amen. Where you go
please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace.